What's up, everyone? Welcome back to The Schlep. It has been a minute once again. I think if, you, if you've been trying to follow me, you know that I kind of start and stop the podcast game. But come hell or high water, or, oh man, this is like a, a Bible podcast. Come H-E double hockey sticks or high water, I'm going to get down to a regular posting of The Schlep. So we're going to continue boiling down the letters of Paul. And we're working our way down the shelf. We talked about Galatians last time. We're going to talk about Ephesians this time as Paul addresses a church in Ephesus, uh, one of the great cities of the Roman Empire in the first century. So let's get to it. Welcome to the Schlep. All right, all right, all right. Here we are again looking at the letters of Paul and trying to boil down each of his letters as succinctly, as quickly as possible. And uh, the reason I'm doing this is because, man, I love the New Testament, love uh, Paul's New Testament letters. And I just think it's important uh, for those of us who are trying to read the New Testament, to try to gather an idea of what it says and what it means for us um, as modern day believers. It's good to get some background, to get the story, and then maybe get a 30,000 foot view of a letter in order to read some of its smaller parts. So I hope that you take these in and consider it and uh, continue to study and come up to your own conclusions about the letters of Paul. But um, um, Ephesians is a great book. I think it was one of the first books that I read as an early Christian. And I think it's because like, I was in youth group and at the very end of the letter, there's the like, section on the like weapons of warfare, the armor of God uh, section. And so I thought that was, was kind of bodacious in the Christian life. And so I started to study the book of Ephesians. But the more I studied, the more I found it's, a, it's, it's such a provocative and courageous letter. Once again, reminding us of Paul's greater theological vision. Paul, even though he was a sectarian Jew who believed that they were a chosen people over against all the other nations, he believed that the promise of Abraham given to Abraham that we see in Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 14, Genesis chapter 15, Genesis chapter 17, Genesis chapter 19, was this great story coming to a climax uh, in and through the life of the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, that now God was moving forward with this great one plan to rescue all of humanity. And uh, what I love about Ephesians is that you could split it in two. It's directly split in half. The first three chapters of Ephesians are articulating this great big idea of how Jews and non-Jews, or as the New Testament calls Gentiles, are together in one family. Um, and you'll notice that uh, Paul seems to address the Jews because he uses some pronouns in the first several verses of chapter 1. Um, and uh, if you uh, look at verse 13 of chapter 1, and he says, And you also were included in Christ. And I think when he uh, uh, switches to you, he's got the second person plural in mind, which is y'all. Now that I live in the South, I can say y'all or all y'all. Um, and it seems to make sense. But, so he's talking about us, we as the Jews. And then he says, and you also. He's including uh, the Gentile hearers into one church. So Paul's got a diverse church. There are Jews and there are Gentiles together. And you can imagine that there are different perspectives. There's different life experiences. There are different 
of customs and habits that each of these individual communities bring into the one church. And so Paul has to again and again go back to the basics that the church is not just the church for the Jews, the church is not just for the Gentiles, but the church is for all sorts of people. And so for the first three chapters, Paul tries to articulate in a long winding argument about how one body of Christ exists with these different groups of people. And it comes to head in a place like Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, where he talks about Christ. He says this, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, Jews and Gentiles, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. What a great thought. So Jews and Gentiles used to be separated by a wall of hostility. Uh, They had antagonism against one another, towards one another. But in Christ, Christ has removed the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus himself is the peace that holds the church together. So if you look down in verse 18, For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Verse 19, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, Who is he talking about? Gentiles who are non-Jews outside of the covenant promises, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord, to the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling place which God lives by his spirit. So Paul uses a metaphor. Just as people see a temple as a holy household where worship takes place, now Jews and Gentiles are bricks placed side by side, and together as one community, people see us as the one building where God resides. So this is the grand vision of the New Testament church. That God is bringing this great story from the Jewish community. He's bringing it to its climax as he puts Jews and Gentiles together. So you'll notice that in chapter 3, verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, for the sake of the Gentiles, um, begin to share this with you. You'll notice that he begins to uh, pray because of this in verse 14 of chapter 3, because this is not an easy endeavor. Everywhere Paul goes, there's uprising because people don't want to embrace his message because he's a sectarian Jew trying to give Gentiles the right of fellowship as well. So he kneels before the Father God and he offers a gutsy and courageous prayer for the building up of the body of Christ. So this is the issue that Paul has from place to place. He's trying to put one church together and he's misunderstood, he's mistreated, but he pursues and he progresses forward even still because this is the high calling towards him for him in Jesus Christ. So the second half of the book is a so what? So he's tried to articulate that from the very beginning, Jews and Gentiles has been God's dream to put them together in one body of Christ. And so for the second half of the book, in chapter 4 and forward, he begins to give some teaching about how to dwell together and how to get along with one another. So you see in chapter 4, verse 1, As a prisoner for the Lord, therefore I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you received, to be completely humble and gentle, to be patient, bearing with one another in love. That seems like an admonition for a group of people who would naturally have conflict with one another. Paul is saying to 
bear with one another. Um, he says in verse 14, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. He says this, There are people who are going to try to tear you apart. There are sectarian Jews and those who have a preference towards Gentiles against the Jews who might come into your church and you may try to tell you about a teaching about how you should not belong to one another, but resist them. He says in verse 15, And said, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body, joined and held together in every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So he says the body of Christ is being built as we strive towards maturity and towards peace with one another. We are strengthened again and again into the one body of Christ. And so, so from there, he launches into admonition after admonition, command after command, imperative after imperative, to try to give people a vision for a new outlook of life because we now dwell together in one diverse community. And so he goes forward from there again and again, and of course he ends the letter in the same ways that he does with other letters in the New Testament where he gives some um, personal greetings and admonitions, and he mentions some leaders in the life of the church. And so um, if there's a, perhaps a passage that I want to leave us to consider that holds some of the book together, um, I want to go to uh, this place where there is a prayer for the body of Christ. He prays for the body of Christ in a couple of different places. And in Ephesians chapter 1, he has a, a prayer of thanksgiving that he has for the life of the church. It's in verses 15 and following. And I'll just conclude our time in Ephesians, boiling it down with this prayer. Maybe we'll pray it together, and maybe you'll meditate on it, and it'll encourage you to seek unity in the body of Christ. Paul says this in verse 15 and following in Ephesians chapter 1. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you might know the hope to which he has called you the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people, and in His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same power that, that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under His feet and appointed Him to be the head of everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. May that be our prayer as we glean from the pages of the book of Ephesians. And may we be the answer to that great prayer of the Apostle Paul. And may we seek unity in the church as we continue to put our trust in Jesus, in Jesus Christ. Well, that's all for this time. Next time we will go to the book of Ephesians as Paul writes a letter to an irreligious group of people in a far-off colony in the Roman Empire. We'll see you next time.